Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. In the 1990s, middle of the 1990s, I had the privilege of going over to uh, Kenya, way out west, where it's not uh, uh, far from any major city. And in the mornings, I was teaching a group of pastors, 60-something pastors that they brought in, and basically giving my Fruitland Gospels course to them. Um, As I got to know these pastors who were currently serving, I found out that the average pastor in that group made $40 a month total income. Uh, That's pretty typical for folks in that part of the world, but can you imagine if you're only making $40 a month, you're going to find it a rare occasion that you would do something like buy a book. In fact, most of the, the pastors that I met with only owned two books. They owned a Bible, of course but they also owned a hymnal. So they thought, I've got to have two books, a Bible and a hymnal. This passage here deals with the importance of the word. It also deals with the importance of singing. And we're gonna focus on both. I'll spend more time on singing in just a few minutes. But first, let's talk about the importance of the word. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you is what we're told here. First truth today is this. We need to let the Bible be at home in our lives. We need to let the Bible be at home in our lives. The word dwell is an interesting Greek word. Sometimes in the Greek, what they would do is they would take a noun and just turn it into a verb. So it's really the word for house and turn it into a verb. So that's the reason why a lot of translators would rather it be said, let the word of God be at home in your life. I love that picture of being at home. When I think of that, I think of my roommate in college, Duke Dixon. We both were from the same hometown. And when we were there on college breaks, he just walked in. He never once knocked on our door. He would just walk in, make a beeline right to the refrigerator, opened it up, complain if something he wanted wasn't in there, then go sit down and put his, drape his leg over the arm of the chair because he was at home. Karen and I love having our grandkids there, and we feel like our grandkids feel like they're at home at Nana's house. Uh, we, don't, we don't worry about anything being broken. We've tried to do everything we can to make sure it wouldn't, and it wouldn't matter anyway. And we love it when they come right in, they make themselves at home. There's nothing in our home that we would be ashamed for them to see in that home. So we want our grandkids to feel at home in our house. And that's the way it needs to be in our relationship with the Word of God. The Word of God needs to be at home with us. There's an old saying that goes like this. The Bible will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the Bible. And I think that as long as we are listening and obeying God's word, it'll have a home in us. But if we're some, if we're disobeying an area, well, that's not, we don't want it here. We don't want to be listening to it. We don't want it to be a part of our lives. So we need to let the Bible be at home in our lives. Second truth is this. We need the Bible in rich doses. We need the Bible in rich doses. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, richly. Uh, This implies more than just reading a devotional book where there's one verse and a good story. I'm not against those. I'll talk about that at the end. But you need to be taking in the word of God at a far greater level than that. I would recommend that you read far more than what you're reading now for most of us in this room so that you'll be taking in massive doses. 
Preacher Halleck was the longtime pastor at First Baptist Oklahoma City last century. Uh, he read through the Bible more than once a year. And this is what he said. Listen, if I only had time to do one thing, pray or read the Bible, I would read the Bible. It's more important for me to hear from God than for God to hear from me. Let me read that one again. If I only had time to do one thing, pray or read the Bible, I would read the Bible. It's more important for me to hear from God than for God to hear from me. Now, what are the blessings that happen in your life when you take the Bible in in rich doses? First blessing is this. It helps you maintain a spiritual fire in your hearts. There's a great a Bible teacher named Ray Vanderlaan. He's, he's got a series that he recorded in Israel. It's a wonderful way of giving those Jewish backgrounds that you can get from being in the Holy Land. I've really been blessed by what he said, but let me give you a quote from him. He said, when spiritual coldness creeps into our lives, we simply need to up the amount of time we spend in the Word. So if you're getting cold, up the amount of time you're getting in the Word. And he pointed out, Plenty of verses, but here's one from Luke 24, 32, when Jesus was teaching the Bible to the two men on the road to Emmaus. Weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? If you begin to take in God's word, it's like an internal fire. It just keeps your soul going. But a second reason why we need to have massive doses of the word of God coming into our life is it spurs us to be witnesses one of the most common complaints I hear from people is I just don't witness. I can't see myself being a witness. Well, let me tell you how you can't keep from being a witness. Put massive doses of God's word in your heart and it's got to come out. I love old Jeremiah. Jeremiah had one of the hardest tasks anybody ever had. He preached the funeral for the kingdom of Judah. Never got one convert. And so one day he said, I'm resigning. <laughs> I'm quitting. No more preaching. They're not listening. No more preaching. He said... This, he said, so I say I won't mention him or speak any longer in his name, but his message becomes a fire burning in my heart, shut up in my bones. I become tired of holding it in and I cannot prevail. So that's what happens when you get the massive doses of God's word. It's just got to come out. Now, what I'm going to do is spend most of my time this sermon talking about the importance of music and singing in our lives. And I'll tell you why. There are many passages that we've already looked at, we'll look at in the future, that talk about the importance of the Word in our lives. But to my knowledge, there's only two that talk about the importance of singing in the New Testament. That's here in Colossians 3 and the parallel passage in Ephesians 5. So because this is such a unique passage, I want to go through just about every phrase here and, and discover what it means. So here, let's look first of all what he says. Put the Word in your heart and then what? teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I had a minister of music, one of the godliest men I know in, in Opelika, and he uh, believed that the only type of music that we should do in church is praise music. He talked about the praise service, and everything had to be focused on God. And I said, well, brother, every once in a while, blessed assurance won't hurt us. <laughs> Well, count your many blessings might be good for us, for us to exhort one another. And what this actually says is we're to let the word be taught, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Justin brought this insight out to me because he's got kids at just the right age. 
He said, do you know how we learn so many things? We learn it through song. For instance, how did you learn your ABCs? Was it going through one A, B, C, D? Or was it A, B, C, D, E, L, M, N, O, P? (laughs) Isn't that how we learned our ABCs? Was through singing them. And there's so many things that we learn, we learn through music. There's a worship leader of one of our large modern churches who writes a lot of songs that people are using. He's a great preacher. The times that his pastors allowed him to preach, members have come up to him and said, you're too good a preacher just to be doing worship. Why don't you go all in and become a preacher? And when somebody asked him that one time, he said this, how many sermons do you remember? And then he said, how many songs do you remember? And the truth of the matter is so much of our doctrine, so much of our teaching actually settles in our heart better through song than through sermon. That's hard for me to say, but but it's just the truth. And, And so think about the rich doctrine in so many of our hymns. This morning I was listening to one and it had a line. It says, the only fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. I love the depth of that particular line in that great verse. Uh, look Look at this. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Isn't that incredible doctrine? Isn't that something that we need to have sink into our heart? It's not my works, it's his righteousness that I trust in. But I need to let this service know God is still birthing great depth of words in some of the more recent songs. There's a song written by the Gettys called In Christ Alone that is deep and rich in doctrine. Listen to these words and I'll comment on them. In Christ alone who took on flesh, fullness of God and helpless babe. Well, right there, friends, is the doctrine of the incarnation. Listen in a little later in the song. He said, till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid Here in the death of Christ I live. There's the doctrine of the substitutionary atonement. So we we get doctrine as we listen to scripture, as we listen to songs and let them settle into our hearts. But then there's also this sense in which I need to sometimes speak to my own soul or speak to each other. Count your many blessings. I've been hearing too many complaints. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. Or when you're going through a hard time, this thing, it is well with my soul. It may be falling apart, but it is well with my soul. We can teach and admonish one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Second thing I want to tell you about music is this. There should be a variety in the songs we sing. There should be a variety. Did you notice here that he used three words? He said sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, singing psalms is something that's not hard to understand because From the time of David until now, oftentimes people have taken the words of the Psalms and simply put tunes to them. I I bought recently the 100 Most Loved Hymns. It's to put on our music app on our phones. And I've been listening to one a morning. And a couple of weeks ago, I listened to the 23rd Psalm, which is a British hymn. And I I won't sing it for you now, but I, I never had heard it until I was preaching in Britain. And I've heard it since. But it's wonderful how they took that great Psalm 23. And that was part of the old Psalter that they used to sing from. 
We still have more modern versions of the Psalms. After 911, Matt, Matt Redman wrote 10,000 Reasons. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Uh, that's right out of Psalm 103. So we're to sing Psalms. But let me give you this caution. In our history, the Puritans in America became convinced and the Puritans in England became convinced that the only songs that we should sing are psalms and they accused anything else as being man-made music. We don't want man-made music. We will sing only the psalms. In fact, here's a trivia point. The very first book published on American soil was not the Bible. It was the Bay Psalter. It was the, the song book that was just simply songs. And that's all the Puritans would use. Isaac Watts lived in that day and time. And he complained to his parents when he was going to church. Dad, the music is so boring. His dad looked at him and said, why don't you write something better? But if he wrote it, nobody would sing it unless he disguised it. So what he did was he started titling the songs he was written with the, with the number of psalms. For instance... Joy to the world, he entitled Psalm 98. So it's no problem with singing Joy to the World because that's Psalm 98. Uh, he entitled, O oh God, our help in ages past as Psalm 90. And so as he produced these new, quote, psalms that everybody was loving, finally everybody said, just, just drop the pretense. And so he wrote, wrote songs like, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die. So that we have this, great privilege to do psalms, but we can go beyond that. The word hymns, we, we can get clues from that, from, from studying the New Testament. Hymns were songs that weren't found in the Psalter, but had great Christian doctrine, great Christian teaching that were sung in the early church. If you have one of the newer translations and you go somewhere like Philippians 2, that talks about how he emptied himself. That's written in metric form because most likely Paul is quoting a song a hymn that's being sung in that day and time. Definitely in 2 Timothy 2, where it says if we die with him, we'll live with him. It's, it's a beautiful, obviously quoting him, much like I've already quoted hymns today. Paul did that. Let me share with you some proof that these hymns were a part of the life of the early church. Remember how I told you a few minutes ago, sometimes the Greek will take a noun and turn it into a verb. Well, our translations translate it singing, but it's really hymned. They just hemmed it out. So let me give you a couple of, of times that happened. Look at Matthew 20, 26, 30. After singing a hymn. Singing a hymn is one, one word, a verb. They hymned. They went out to the Mount of Olives. So they didn't sing psalms at the end of the Lord's Supper. Somehow they sang something that included great doctrinal truths that was a newer song. They hymned them, themselves away from the Lord's Supper. Acts 16, 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and hymning singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. So here we've got the pattern. We can use the psalms in our songs. We can use hymns where we invest new songs with doctrine and, and, and new songs with praise. But the spiritual songs, now that's a little bit harder to define. The commentators are uh, mixed about what it may mean. Some say it just simply means songs led by the Spirit. But others, and I believe this may be the right interpretation, because you can use the word spiritual that's not referring to the Holy Spirit, be talking about our spirit. A song from my spirit to God. It's where I, I'm not necessarily trying to grasp great doctrine. There are times when my spirit just needs to go and commune with God, and I just need to tell Him I love Him.
One of the spiritual songs that has blessed me since it was written almost 50 years ago. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, my soul rejoice. That's just telling the Lord you love him. There's, there's a place for that. It doesn't necessarily have to be the depth of doctrine. It can be just a love song to the Lord. Both Chasen and I had William Reynolds for music at Southwestern. He was then, he'd been fired by the uh, Sunday school board and he got hired at Southwestern because of the job he did with the 1975 Baptist hymnal. He was the editor of the Baptist hymnal. William Reynolds was the biggest high church stuffy guy you've ever seen. He wanted nothing mushy in a Baptist hymnal. 1975 was the height of the popularity of all the Bill Gaither songs. He touched me and all. Didn't want it. Oh, we're not going to have our congregations doing something sentimental like he touched me in the worship of God. The only, only one got voted in over him. And that was because he lives in the 1975 hymnal. Well, what they did was they had a committee made up of ministers of music and pastors, and they would, people would nominate a hymn and they would vote on it. Somebody nominated in the garden. He walks with me and talks with me and tells me I am his own. He said, we don't need sentimental mush like he walks with me and talks with me. That's, that's, that's too cloyingly sentimental. And Russell Dilday raised his hand and said, what do you think about this? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Is that sentimental? It got voted in. <laughs> well, let me give you another thought. We've gone through the text, but I'm going to give you a couple of more thoughts. When it comes to singing, I believe that God wants us to be continually singing new songs. Psalm 96, 1, I'll just read the first line. Sing a new song to the Lord. And what I know as someone who studies church history is that every time there's been a real move of God, there has been songs that God raised up in the midst of that. I believe the Reformation was a move of God. Now, before Martin Luther, the Catholic Church at that time did not allow the congregation to sing. The priest could sing, a boys' choir could sing, but the congregation did no singing. So when Martin Luther was rethinking, how do we go back to being New Testament? He decided we've got to put singing back in the pews and let the people sing. And so what he would do is he would take Christian words and find the barroom tunes everybody was singing and put the Christian words to the barroom tunes. In fact, he said this, why should the devil have all the good music? And so a mighty fortress is our God is a barroom tune with, with new words to it. And then you get to the first great awakening in the 1700s, early 1700s, mid 1700s, where George Whitfield and John Wesley were preaching, you must be born again. And God brought America back to God and England back to God. And a great movement happened. Out of that was birthed a whole new genre of songs. John Wesley's brother Charles wrote, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. One of John Wesley's friends uh, wrote the song that you and I love, John Newton. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You get in the 1800s and Moody and Sankey, God's doing something fresh there. And they put together a hymn book that has peppy songs with choruses. So what you have now is you take Alas and Did My Savior Bleed from a generation before. And then you add a chorus, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. It was a whole new breath of fresh air into Christian music. And then in the 1970s or late 60s, 70s, God did a special work in our midst 
of the Jesus movement, and then you have Maranatha praise and contemporary Christian music that was birthed in that. Songs like, I love you, Lord. It's amazing to me that that's 50 years old now. That, that was, that they were birthed out of this fresh movement of God. Let me give you another thought when we talk about the purpose of singing. I believe that we also ought to strongly consider using songs in spiritual warfare. He said you're to sing the, teach the word in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Well, Ephesians 6 says the word is the sword of the spirit in our battle against the devil. Well, you don't just have to quote the word, you can sing the word in spiritual warfare. And I believe we can find Bible examples that God used the, the music, the orchestra, the choir, the music of God's people to defeat the devil. There's an interesting story in 2 Corinthians 20, 2 Chronicles 20. Uh, Jehoshaphat was, was going out to battle and said, Lord, how are we to do this? He said, I want you to go and fight against the enemy, but I want you to put your choir and orchestra out front. Charge into battle with the choir. I know we've got some choir and orchestra members in the room right now. Are y'all ready next time we go to war to be right out front there before the soldiers come? Play those trumpets, play those trombones, sing your heart out. But what happened as they went into battle with the choir and orchestra out front, it caused the enemy to go in disarray. Best way I can think about it is the praise of God was like a jamming device to, the, to Satan. It just caused him to be disoriented. You look at David. The King Saul was being tormented by a demon. They brought him in. He took his harp and he began to play psalms and God calmed him. Martin Luther was a person who understood spiritual warfare. Uh, when he was translating the Bible into, from Greek to German in the Wartburg Castle, one day he felt the presence of Satan in the room. He picked up his inkwell and threw it at the devil. If you go to the Wartburg Castle today, you can see the inkblot on the wall. But I think the greatest experience he had of spiritual warfare was when he was coming into Worms, Germany to stand trial, expecting that what would happen to him is what happened in the past. He'd be burned at the stake. He said as he came in, even though the crowds were cheering him, he looked up, he said, I could see a devil on every tile of every roof. If you want to hear how a man used singing as spiritual warfare, can I read to you a great deal of the words of a mighty fortress is our God? Listen to this. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amidst the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Did we in our strength, on strength confide, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side. The man of God's own choosing. Does ask, dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. The Lord of hosts his name from age to age the same. And he must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear. For God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. Next time you feel the devil's attacking you, why don't you sing at him? Just sing at him. 
See what happens. Now, one more thing. I'm going to close with some personal confessions. My wife loves listening to praise music. I have not listened to music in years. When I drive around in my car, I've got XM, so I listen to Fox News. Y'all forgive me. Uh, Even when we've done our worship, I've spent more time ushering than I have actually sitting and listening to the music going on downstairs. I was busy till I preached last week at 1030, just finding people's seats. But, but what you need to know, because I don't listen to Christian music, when I hear it downstairs, I'm hearing it for the first time. But that's, that, that's to, to my neglect. We went on a recent bus tour with Christian Tours. We had a great guide. And she did something. I've recommended this for Dave for his Scotland trip, that's, uh, England and Scotland trip that he's putting together. What she did every morning, I thought this was brilliant. She had a great devotional written, a day-by-day devotional written by Charles Stanley. So every day she would read the devotion for that day. So here we were, we'd just taken off. We were having our first moments of quietness as we got on the road. She'd read Charles Stanley. And then she played five songs every day. And there were a variety. She played five hymns the first day. And then she played, play, played Alan Jackson singing five hymns. It's a little bit different sound. The country song. And she played Phil Wickham five songs one time. So it was a variety of songs. But that was the first time that I've sat there and listened to five songs in a row. And I was sitting here saying, God, I have been missing out. So I've gone back. And now on my phone, I've got the hundred greatest hymns that I'm working through right now. Uh, And it's been good to listen to great doctrine. But I've had some emotional experiences I didn't expect. This week, blessed Redeemer, up Calvary's mountain, one weary morn, walk Christ my Savior, weary and worn. Oh my, the words get to me, but let me tell you what else happened. I was ordained on August 31st, 1975. They let me put the elements together for my ordination service. My dad loved to sing solos. And I knew he had sung that as a solo. I asked him to sing. I asked him to sing that song because of the words. But when I heard that song again this week, I saw my dad singing it. Isn't it amazing how many emotional connections we have with things in the past through music? So what I'm doing now is along with at least two chapters just for my own personal soul that I read in the morning, I've added a devotional. I'm listening to Martin Luther day by or reading Martin Luther day by day. But I'm also listening to him as a new thing. 1996 or so when I went to Africa, they had to have a Bible and a hymn book. I would close this sermon by saying you ought to go into your quiet time with a Bible and hymn book. But I believe in this day and time, I'd probably be more helpful for you if I said go into your quiet time with a Bible app and music downloaded on your phone. But we need to have both in our devotional life. Will you pray with me about that? Oh, Lord, please help us watch over our souls in the way you've laid out in Scripture and then put the fire in us as we take in the word. Put encouragement and strength in us as we sing the word back. We just pray for this now in Jesus' name.